kind of, I mean, you're, that's a whole lot of firsts for you. I mean, like you've got an armed standoff, you've got, you know, an officer down, you've got suspect. Never had that happen where the suspect commits suicide right in front of you. You know, we've had it happen inside the house away from, uh, or you find them a couple days later, you know, and they've killed themselves. So, um, how, but the officer who was shot, how did he do? Ended up going, ended up doing well. Uh, matter of fact, I saw him, uh, I guess it was last month. He's, uh, he's getting, you know, close to the end. Um, you know, I think he still has issues, you know, mobility wise, you know, it's not, it'll, it'll never be a hundred percent. Um, but at that time, that's when I found out how screwed up everything was. Um, you know, I had the emotions of, you know, went to the hospital that night, like everybody did, got home, sat down. And that's when, that's when it kind of hit me, you know, this, this is, this is not a game. You know, my, my, my father tried to tell me that, you know, before I got on the, on the department, um, you know, this, this is real, you know, there's really bad people in the world and they do bad shit to each other. And, you know, you need to, you need, you need to be cognizant of that. And, uh, up, up to that point, I mean, you know, I might as well have had a cape on and an S on my chest. I mean, I, you know, I, I just didn't think anything could happen to any of us. And, uh, but I, but I remember the, the initial emotion of being upset because, you know, a, a friend w- was shot and injured. And the reality of, you know, this, this, this is real. But then the secondary emotion was, I don't, I wouldn't want to do anything else. This is, um, this is where I, this is what, this is what I want to do. This is, this is what I want to do in my life. This is what you're meant to do. Now, were you still in the guard? I was still in the guard. Yes. Yep. So how were you balancing that out between your work there? Cause guards, you know, you do one weekend a month, right? You know, and then you got drills two weeks a year sometimes. So how are you balancing the, the, between the guard and, um, being a, a deputy. So at that time, this was, this was all pre nine 11. Um, every, you know, of course everything changed after, after nine 11. Um, but we had, we had a uh, supervisor. Um, he was kind of a dick. He, uh, you know, he, he, he told me on several occasions, um, you know, there's going to come a point in time where you're going to have to decide whether you want to be in the guard or you want to be a police officer. But I knew I didn't want, I didn't want to give up either one. Uh, I, I love both of them. I didn't want to give up either one of them. So I was able at that time, they would let you come in and do, um, you know, you could do makeup drills. They were pretty good about that. And I'd go up to the armory, push a mower, you know, run a paintbrush, you know, just do try trying to keep everything, you know, everything going. Cause I just, I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to do both, both of them. So we made it work. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about getting close to nine 11. Cause you're still in the guard at that time, right? Uh, actually I switched over to the Naval reserves of all places. Okay, well, that'll be, we'll have to talk about that in a minute. So, okay, <laughs> right, why? Because the Navy has better chow halls than the than the guard. But um, it was interesting because you said police officer, I said deputy. So, were you a county police department or oh, a sheriff's, sheriff's office? office? Sheriff's office. Okay, just just uh, just checking. So, um, so after that incident, like I said, when shit started getting real, and you go, look, I can't imagine doing anything else. So, what did you do? You know, had you were, did you still stay in the TAC unit? Because at some point you go into investigation, some point you get involved with uh, drugs and dope and narcotics. But what's that path between where you were at on the street to where you ended up? Yeah, being? so I stayed. Um, I stayed um, on, on the TAC team, which, um, like I said, it, it was the uniform, you know, uniform drug division. Um, you know, we worked a lot of criminal interdiction on the interstate at that time, um, which was, I guess, kind of new around here. Um, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of training. It was more trial and error. Um, of course the sheriff would come out and impart his knowledge and wisdom at, at some point. I remember we were at the, um, 
rest area one day, he called us up there and he said, uh, he said, uh, you know, have you guys seized any drugs or, or, or money today? And, uh, the sergeant told him, he said, well, sheriff, you know, we've only been out here a couple hours. We hadn't had, you know, you know, we're working. We just haven't, you know, hadn't hit anything yet. And he said, uh, that's no excuse, boys. I was off the helicopter for 15 minutes in Vietnam before I killed my first man. And we're like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, God, I guess you skipped processing and, you know, in-country briefs and all that shit and just went straight to, you know, killing folks. But I was a white beret in a secret unit in Nam. We had one of those guys on the police department when I started. It's yeah, like, yeah. That, that well, was, yeah. that was, that would have been him. That, that would have absolutely been him. Um, yeah. And most, and I will tell you the two, my dad being a Vietnam vet, those guys didn't come back and talk like that. No, no, not at all. Absolutely not. Right. No, but, um, right. so <laughs> yeah, it's been two hours. What have you done for me lately? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. That was pretty much it. And then, um, and Steve, Steve, knows. so at, at that time, uh, uh, Brad Glisson actually ended up being a, you know, a a good mentor of mine. Uh, I just didn't listen to a lot of what he said, but some of it I did. High Point PD was a very, very professional organization and it was just right up the road. So uh, at that time they didn't, they didn't hire very often and they, they were hiring. So he, Brad kind of encouraged me. He's like, you know, it's, it's a better place. You get away from some of the politics. Um, you know, you, um, you know, you, you, you'd probably be a good fit over there if you, if you wanted to do it. And my neighbor at the time that was a, a trooper was kind of pushing me to apply to the highway patrol. But, you know, in North Carolina, uh, and I've got a lot of close friends that are troopers, you know, short of writing tickets and investigating accidents. I mean, that's pretty much where your career is going to end unless you get into management. And I'd already had enough of the um, enough of the, uh, of the action that I knew, you know, that I was not interested in the highway patrol. Um so I applied to High Point, and I ended up getting hired. And the worst thing that ever happened to me in my career was getting promoted too fast. Um, I was in, you know, a specialized unit within the first, you know, two years of being at the agency. What specialized um, unit? That would have been uh, that would have been the tax the the tax squad uh, that was assigned to the drug unit and, and SWAT. Um, it was it was a blessing and a curse. I mean, the experience I wouldn't trade for anything. But ego wise, for me. I needed I needed it put in check. Um, so I go to High Point, and it was a very very well ran organization. The money was a lot better, but I was just bored out of my mind. Um, was it a quiet town or quiet area? No, no, it was the exact opposite. I was bored in the fact that you know now I was just a I was just a number in a in a group, um, and I was confined to a part of the city. Uh, I was a predominantly predominantly um, um, poor black area in the city. So there was always a lot to do, but it was like I was in a cage. You know, I was used to having the ability to, you know, kind of come and go as I please roam where I wanted to roam, do what I wanted to do. Um, and, but I, di I didn't have that freedom anymore. And instead of setting in place and just taking it all in, uh, and, and, and using it as a real opportunity to learn, uh, I, I didn't do that. Um, I, I would go back and hang out with the guys that I worked with previously and I would see what they were doing. And I was like, man, I just, I, I got to get back, you know, screw the money. I never got into it for the money anyway. I, I want to go back. So I ended up going, going back to, uh, back to the County and, um, 
and eventually worked my way back into uh, back into a specialized unit. Did you have to go through another one of those high level interviews with the sheriff to come back? No, on no. He up? told me he said, uh, oh, "Son, I knew uh, I know you made a mistake when you left, but I have, but you got to make your own mistakes. You always did a good job. You can come on back." So then that's when everybody started telling me that I was his illegitimate child because everybody knew that I was adopted. And they're like, that's your real dad. <laughs> you know, it's so funny you mentioned that when I was in. <laughs> and that's not a compliment. <laughs> when I was in Salina, we had an officer by the name of George Overstreet. George ended up going to the Ohio Patrol later. I ended up, we ended up working together, but he was on Salina PD. He left, came back, left, came back. I think it was like he's on his fourth time back. And our chief of police, John Woody, and he's a legend out there. He was a Marine formerly on active duty. You know, he'd walk through the hall. He had his little bulldog. I'm trying to think of what the bulldog's name was, but this bulldog was piss in the hallway and stuff. You know, just it was on its last legs, but the chief didn't care. He didn't like anything. Uh, we had, we could not have mustaches. We could not, um, you know, you had to have basically the military haircut. Couldn't go to bars. You know, initially when I first started there, the chief just didn't like anything. So we're sitting in briefing one day and he comes in and he says something and he leaves and he goes, and one of the guys goes, Jesus, does, you know, does chief Woody like anything? And I remember it to this day, Ron Downing, the biggest smart ass on the department, the funny guy says, yeah, apparently George Overstreet, I think he fathered the kid, you know, just four <laughs> times he came back. You probably by now realize what an ass clown uh, the, the sheriff was at the time, but he used to like to, he had an entourage that would, excuse me, follow him around. And when you said that about the Marine Corps, it made me think about it, that we had a, a retired Marine Corps Sergeant Major that worked at the sheriff's office. His name was George Hunt. Great, one, wonderful guy. Uh, talked me into going to Masonic Lodge. I mean, just, just a great, just a great man, you know, Vietnam veteran. Scottish right or York right? I, you know, I never did either one. Stayed in Blue Lodge. You did? Okay. Yep. Stayed, stayed in the Blue Lodge. Um, but he comes up, uh, he always had a white cup that had Sergeant Major stripes on one side and a Eagle Globe and Anchor on the other side. And Gerald Heggie, when he took over, his sheriff took the coffee pots out of the office because he said, all people do is stand around the coffee pots and bullshit and they don't get nothing done. So... <laughs> I but see look on Steve's face. Yeah, yeah. Holy and, cow, George, and George how- always had the nub of a cigar in his mouth. And uh, I mean, just AJ squared away. I mean, you, you didn't get more squared away than, than Sergeant Major. He was a lieutenant, but everybody called him Sergeant Major, Lieutenant Sheriff's Office. So they're going into the law library for this, some kind of damn staff meeting that morning. And uh, I'm standing in the hall. They just happened to be passing by in the hallway. And uh, the sheriff had his entourage with him and he stops George and he says, Sergeant Major, I know that's not. No, it's not coffee you got in that cup. You know what my policy is on coffee. And George never missed a beat. He reached up. He took the cigar out of his mouth with one hand. He looked down at his cup and he looked back up at him and he said, Sheriff, it ain't goddamn orange juice and walked off. (laughs) And the sheriff looked like he was shot at and missed. (laughs) (laughs) Shit at him. But you know what is so funny about guys from that era? And I really, I felt bad later on too. One of the guys I ended up being a detective with, he was a sergeant on the PD. I, th- I think he was getting some cognitive issues and, you know, maybe like we couldn't, didn't know it at that time could have been like, you know, uh, not Alzheimer's, but you know, something along that was affecting. So they ended up busting him back to detective. And I kind of, not that I gave him a hard time, but it's kind of like, here's a guy who's sergeant. Now he's a detective. It was like, we got to carry him along, but he, he was a good guy. But then when he passed away, come to find out not only how big of a badass he was, I've realized how big of an asshole I was 
because I never asked him what he did. He was a captain in the army. He was one of the original tunnel rats in Vietnam. The guy that would take the flashlight and the 45 and crawled. He was built like that too. He's like you, Murph. He's, well, he was skinnier than you. Uh, but yeah, well, he, he was <laughs> tall and skinny that, and it crawled through the tunnels to do that shit. And then it got me thinking. Then I, then I heard another guy I used to work with on the Salina police department, Jack Gallagher, same thing. Um, I think he was a gunny sergeant, though, Marine Corps, but good, hard-charging guy. If you remember, this would have been in the 80s. You know, the black, you know, horned rim glasses look like something out of Dragnet. Always got a palm Oh, yeah, the B- BCDs. Yeah. Yeah, birth, <laughs> birth control devices. <laughs> and then come to find out his history <laughs> in the Marine Corps, because he, he ended up doing a lot of the Veterans Day Parade. He'd be in uh, the dress blues and everything. And seeing the fruit salad on his chest and the stuff he went through, it's like, Guys, you know, there's so many guys out there that you don't know their story, you yeah. know, and, and, the, and the real operators, it's like out here, I'm in the area, Northern Virginia, everybody thinks they're a super spook. I can't tell you it's classified. That's bullshit. If you really did that work, you wouldn't be talking like that. And it's, but yeah. some of the, so many of these guys have stories, but the real operators don't go around and say, I was in Nam 15 minutes before I killed my first person, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you got you can look up the word narcissist in the dictionary. It's probably got Hagee's picture in there now. If it don't, it needs to. Oh, he, he was unbelievable! Unbelievable. Yeah, he he absolutely was. He he absolutely was. And he would um he would carry different guns. Like somebody somebody seized a forty one Magnum, and he got it turned over, got it turned over to him by a judge, and he carried it. But he couldn't hit a bull in the ass with a shotgun at fifteen feet. I mean, he'd go to the range, and it was a damn joke. <laughs> wow. Yeah, He's a real marksman, huh? Well, let's. Talk. So, how long were you on High Point before you came back to uh, the sheriff's office? Oh God, it, it was less than a year. I was just, I was miserable. Okay. Uh, yeah, did you ever yeah, know the name Hines Smith? I don't think so. Well, I don't think made, so. I don't know if he came back. So, my touch point with uh, that. This is before I was on the PD. My wife was on the the police department, but they hired a captain from the High Point. North Carolina Police Department to be a captain in Garden City, Kansas. His name was Hines Smith. That's where he came from, was hmm. High Point. Wow. So just small, small world. Small world. Yeah. So, t- but continue on with your trajectory. You know, like, you, like you, you're back to the sheriff's office. The sheriff gives you a little bit of grief. But so what's your trajectory now inside the sheriff's office? So I'm uh, I'm back on SWAT at this, you know, not long after coming back, they had openings. Um, I'm working patrol again. And... We get into a um, a car chase on a Sunday afternoon with a 21-foot stolen rider truck out of Charlotte, which at the time we didn't know it was stolen. Um, I was actually on my way home. I was on um, what they call Business 85 and not Interstate 85, and I heard one of the guys call out a traffic stop uh, just around the city limits of Lexington, and um, he um, calls the you know, vehicle description, whole nine yards, walks up to the car. Uh, and and the, the truck takes off. So he goes 1043, which in North Carolina is, you know, a motor vehicle chase. And I turn my car around and I'm heading back toward, um, toward Lexington. And then I just dip off in the median and I'm like, well, you know, if, if, if he makes it this far out, you know, I'll, I'll jump in. So you got some other officers that are, you know, that, that check on a uh, great, great friend of mine. Who's a captain now. Um, Steve Jones was going on duty. He jumps in the chase, so now you got two guys chasing him. And it's like so this is on Sunday afternoon, and, and and Steve will appreciate this because it was, you know, Gerald Heggie. But 
Gerald Heggie's call sign was 101, and he keys up on the radio, and he said, if traffic's light, take him out, boys. And we're like, take him out? It's a damn rider rental truck. 21 foot at that. Like, what are we going to do? We've got a tank handy. I mean, you know, we're going to bump him with it. So the three officers, myself and the two other officers that were initially involved, um, you know, we, we were seasoned guys. We knew, you know, not to pay any attention to his bullshit. So I key up on the radio and I give my location. And um, the sheriff keys up and he says, uh, calls me on the radio and he says, do you have a new car or an old car? And I said, <laughs> and I said well, I said, it's a, uh, it's, it's an older car. And he said, pull it across the road. And I'm like, pull it across the road. My ass. That's a dumb idea. So I key up on the radio and I said, holy cow, uh, whatever unit number it was. I said, can you advise speed? And he said, we're 70 plus. And I'm like, you ain't no way in hell I'm getting anywhere near that. So this was before stop sticks and all that stuff. So I see them cresting the hill and there's the, the, the rider truck is straddling the, the broken lines, uh, cause there's two lanes of travel, uh, two, two same directional lanes of travel. And there's a police car on one end and one on the other. And it looks like a giant light bar hanging off the ass end of this truck as it's coming up the hill. And it's in the, you know, summertime. It's pretty out. I mean, it, it need to be on a poster. And, uh, so I see them, I see them coming and they're like, they key up they're like, Hey, we're almost to you. And that's when sheriff keys up and he's like, pull the car across the road. Of course, I wasn't paying attention to that shit. You're I drop break, out. Breaking up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I drop out <laughs> and I take off, you know, well ahead of the vehicle. You know, I'm just trying to clear traffic, you know, because this guy's straddling the broken, broken lines. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, as much as we, as safely as we can chase this car, you know, in the public is, you know, is what we're trying to do. So we get down to Thomasville. Um, and by this time we had a couple troopers that got involved with the chase and then a couple of Thomasville city officers. And we, we turn, uh, we get off the highway and the whole time the sheriff's on the damn radio, take him out. We're not paying him any attention. So we end up running the guy in, into the city of high point and we went up, uh, English street and it took a hard dog leg back to the right where the guy couldn't make it in the truck and he smacks a telephone pole. So he jumps and runs. So we're chasing him. I was a little bit uh, more fleet of foot at that time. And, and I was actually in the front of the pack chasing. And I see the guy run between two houses. Well, I know we got a canine with us. So I turned to point where the guy went. And I see that the dog had got loose from the handler. And she is she has got my ass has a target on it. And she's coming straight and you toward just me. just hung out that fleshy <laughs> part of the arm for the dog. Just Yeah. And she's coming straight <laughs> toward me. And I knew enough to stop hoping she would run past me, but she did. She, she didn't as she's run as her body's going past me, her mouth is attaching to my ankle and her body swings and pulls me down on top of her in a ditch. And she eat my ass up in that ditch before he could get her off of me. So we get, get that part taken care of. We go find the guy we arrest. Wait a minute. After that traumatic experience, you got how many dogs in your house? Oh, I got two. I got two running, <laughs> running loose now. Pit bulls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Two adopt, two adoptees. Um, so we get back to the office, you know, with the guy. Now we found out the truck was stolen. The guy just got out of, like Mecklenburg County Jail. Normal, you know, normal, um, normal criminal shit. They're checking. They're checking doors. Keys were in the damn rental trucks. So the guy steals it. 
let's get down to the office. And uh, and one of the lieutenants, uh, Bob Meacham, he's retired now. I uh, see him. He works part time at the ABC store, but uh, not that I go there regularly. But that's where I see him. And uh, walk in, and <laughs> and, uh, and and Bob said he goes. He said the old man's pissed. And I said, pissed at what? I said, we arrested a bad guy. The only thing that got tore up was a rider truck and a telephone pole. I mean, it's a pretty good day. And he said, ah, you know how he is. I didn't think anything else about it. So, you know, we're doing our reports. You know, we're booking the guy. I go home. And uh, I, I get up the next morning to a phone call from uh, from Scott Woodall, which will, you know, later on, if you guys want to talk about it, it's an interesting story. He, he ended up in federal prison. But um, he was over the SWAT team at the time. And he called me and he said, Hey man, I hate to tell you this. He said, Sheriff's pissed off. You know, you guys didn't take that truck out or even try after he gave you the order to. And he said, uh, he's going to, he's going to kick you and Steve Jones off the SWAT team. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a dick move. You know, we did everything that, you know, everything legally that we could do. Cause even at, at that time in North Carolina, um, fair to stop for blue light and siren was a misdemeanor. Now, now if there's certain criteria involved, speed being one of them, you know, it makes it a felony. Yeah, but at that time, the only thing you know is a f- just fleeing and eluding. There was it, there was a traffic nothing, violation that you had else. no idea just, it was stolen, no armed no, gunman, nothing. violence, anything, right? Absolutely nothing. And so um, you're supposed to put yourself at risk, your car at risk, the safety of other people at risk at that point for a traffic misdemeanor. Yep, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, 100%. Hey, why did you guys just not duct tape this son of a bitch and stick him in the trunk of a car that was headed south and just you know send him on his way? Well, I mean, there was there was a, there was several plans uh, uh, to, to discuss his demise over the years, but he, uh, of course, and and this uh, later on, he, uh, you know, he actually ended up getting getting arrested and uh, uh, becoming a convicted felon. Um, but oh, uh, anyway, is a bitch. <laughs> it, it is, it is, because he was such an asshole. But um, after that conversation, I hang up and I call my friend Steve. And I said, uh, I said, what do you think, brother? And he said, man, this is such bullshit. He said, he said, but you know how he is. He said, he'll be over it in a couple of weeks and, you know, we'll, we'll be back where we were at. And I said, uh, well, what are you doing today? And he said, I ain't really doing nothing. He said, I'm kind of, you know, kind of down the dumps. And I said, well, shit, come over to the house. We'll drink beer or something. So that was the, um, that was, uh, the start of a lot of bad decisions that day. So, Kevin, you were saying that was the first of many bad decisions that day. Was the first decision the beer you were drinking? I mean, was it a good beer, a bad beer? I mean, what kind? Do you remember the beer you were drinking? You know, it, it, it was probably natural light. Oh, well, that's your first mistake. Yeah. Yeah. You should have got some good <laughs> Belgian stuff. Uh, yeah. So, um, first of many decisions. So, you start off drinking beer. How does that progress? Because, look, that's usually uh, most bad decisions start with alcohol. Uh, you know, or something like that. So where does this go with you? So during the course of the day, I reached out to, uh, reached out to the sheriff's, uh, administrative assistant and tried to request, you know, some kind of, some kind of meeting with him, obviously a sober meeting. And, um, he just, he wasn't hearing any of it. He, uh, he finally had her tell me that he didn't, uh, he didn't have anything to say to me that his decision was made and that was final. So later on in the evening, some, some other guys from the agency came over and I, I got the bright idea that, because uh, back then everybody, you know, worked pretty much worked off pagers. So I knew I had a pager list and had the sheriff's uh, pager number on it and that I would, uh, I would page him and see if he would call me. And he did. And, uh, he called me cause he didn't, he obviously didn't recognize the number. So he called and he gets on the phone and I tell him who I am. And he said, I, I don't have anything to say to you. 
And I said, well, I just kind of want you to hear my side of the story. And I said, you know, you know, we're chasing this truck. It's a 21 foot rider truck. You're telling us to take him out. You know, it's a misdemeanor. Statutorily, we wouldn't be covered if we tried to, you know, to wreck him and somebody were, you know, would be hurt or killed. And, and Kevin, at that point, that's all you had, right? It was a misdemeanor traffic violation, just fleeing and eluding. You had no idea of felonies, violence, anything like that, right? Just a traffic violation. D- didn't, even know, didn't even know the vehicle was stolen, which the stolen motor vehicle would have been a felony. But no, we didn't, we didn't know it was stolen at the time. But even if it was a stolen vehicle, it's kind of like you kind of got to weigh that. Is it worth you know, deadly force on just a stolen motor vehicle as opposed to the guy just carjacked somebody or they shot and killed somebody, you know? So he, um, the sheriff says, well, you need to look at the general statute that says that you work at the leisure of the sheriff, which is a North Carolina statute. And I think it's, I don't know how it is the rest of the country. I know, you know, pretty much in the pretty South. Much it's same yeah. here where I'm at. It's like you work at the pleasure of the sheriff, right? Yep. Yep. And, uh, he said, matter of fact, he said, you, you, you come to my office tomorrow morning. And for some reason, I don't know if it was me or natural light that decided it was a good idea to say, Ah, you know, I kind of got plans tomorrow. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've really got time to do that. And, um, but it worked because he said, he said, when you come back to work? And I said, Wednesday. And he said, I'll deal with you Wednesday. So I'm like, "Eh, okay. So I hung up the phone and my buddy comes from out of the back room and his name's guy by the name of Steve Jones. Great guy. Still a good friend today. He looks at me. He's like, you're fucked. You're so, you're so fucked come Wednesday. And of course, everybody in the house had a you know had a big chuckle about it. We all thought it was great, and I thought it was great up until the following morning when I woke up, and I thought this is not going to end well. At that point of the conversation with the sheriff, what would you estimate your blood alcohol content to be if you were stopped <laughs> on the side of the road and given a breathalyzer? Where do you think you would have registered? Uh, I, th- I think there would be a point, and then it would say a lot behind the decimal <laughs> point. If I was it's like, if we I was, can't register that high. Yeah, no, no. Um. So fast forward to that Wednesday, I show up, I show up at zero eight at the office. I go into the patrol operation, uh, manager's office. He was a major. I walked in as soon as he saw me, he busts out laughing. And, uh, I said, what do you think major? And he said, well, it's about time somebody told that son of a bitch what they really thought. And so now I'm thinking, Hmm, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I said, what do you think he's going to fire me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was the fuse. That's what it was. I said, do you think he's going to fire me? He said, oh, he's going to fire the shit out of you. You might as well know that's coming. And uh, so he calls the sheriff on the on the phone, and he said, I've got Kevin Black here in my office. Would you like like to you know deal with him this morning? He said, I ain't got time to deal with him right now. So I took that as get the hell out of the office, stay on the radio, stay active, stay busy, and you know do, do my job, do what I do every day, and maybe, just maybe, um, this will just, you know, go away. And about five o'clock that afternoon, he called me and, uh, called me to come by the office. So I walk in and the secretary looks at me, Jamie Bale and Jamie had this big grin on her face and she just, she just kind of shook her head and, and, uh, and, and laughed. And I went back and back into the sheriff's office and he had, he can never do anything without an entourage. And he had the chief deputy, uh, and, uh, a major, excuse me, and uh, a captain in there. And the captain, I couldn't stand because he was, he was such an ass kisser and uh, he had a twitch and, um, sheriff leans, I get ready to sit down and the sheriff tells me there's no need in you sitting down. You stand at parade rest. So I'm like, I can do this. So I stand at parade rest and he looks around the room and he said, can you believe he had the audacity to get drunk and call the high sheriff? 
What do you mean? What is it? The high? What is he like? The high grand potentate or what? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in, in his, in his the, world, the high sheriff. The high sounds sheriff, like a yeah. character out of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, it, let's, let's be honest. Elected officials at the end of the day, and I've worked for some really good sheriffs. I work for a great one now. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. You know. They're you politicians. can resumes out the window. It's it's a popularity contest, and you get good ones and you get bad ones. And um, he said, "Can you believe he had the audacity to call the high sheriff?" And for some reason, and I was sober as a judge. Uh, well, that's probably not a good analogy. I hadn't had anything to drink because I was on duty, <laughs> and I said, "You called me because I paged you," and I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to correct him. <laughs> But I did. And he said, that's what I'm talking about. That smart ass mouse going to get you in trouble. And I went, and then I said again, without thinking, uh, my father had told me that a lot over my lifetime and I've never really listened. So he, uh, he comes, he looks over at the captain, like I said, the one I didn't like who would twitch when he got nervous. And he looked at him and he said, what, what do you think? And he said, he starts pulling on his tie and twitching. He said, he said, I'd fire, he said, I'd fire his ass, Sheriff. So the sheriff looks down at his notepad or something. And I looked over at the captain and I just mouthed to him. I said, you motherfucker. Cause like I said, I couldn't stand him. And, uh, so the sheriff, sheriff goes through the whole thing about whose idea was it to drink beer and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm just over this shit. Do what you're going to do. Let me go. So of course I told him it was my house, my idea. And he said, well, who else was on the, one of the phones in the house? Well, I wasn't going to give up Steve because Steve's my boy. So I didn't say anything about Steve being on the other line. So he looks at me, he said, you go work in the jail till I'm tired. So I'm like, all right, well, I mean, you know, it's better than being fired. I'll, you know, I'll suck it up. And that's it. That was one of the times I realized that, you know, as my father used to say, a shotgun mouth and a BB ass is going to get you in trouble. And, and, and it did, it, it came to, came to fruition that, that day. And, and, um, uh, so I see Steve passing, we're passing in the, in the office, in the office hallway. And, uh, we hadn't had time, you know, to discuss anything. So he calls Steve in and kind of, you know, greets him to ride act, tells him the first lie catches him and he's going to fire him. And, uh, he told Steve, he said, I know you were on the other phone. Black gave you up. I could hear you breathing on the other end. And of course, Steve didn't lie to him about anything. And, and, uh, he asked him whose idea it was to drink beer. And Steve said it was his. And he said, well, that's a lie. Kevin said it was his. And he goes, well, I guess, you know, it's kind of a mutual decision. <laughs> so he puts us working, Jeez. working in the jail, <laughs> in the jail for about three weeks. And in the meantime, I got a new car and didn't have a cage in it yet. And we're at radar recertification school and, uh, go to lunch. And one of the guys, uh, his brother lived in Davidson County. Uh, this uh, guy, Tim, he, he worked in uh, at High Point PD, actually, but he didn't live in the county. And he said something about his brother and how his brother thought the sheriff was the greatest thing in the world. And um, he said, I heard you got in trouble over Chase. And I said, yeah, stupid motherfucker made me go work in the jail um, for not wrecking a 21 fried, ride, you know, 21 foot ride truck because he's too fucking stupid to know that, you know, number one, we couldn't do it. I mean, and I, I probably said motherfucker eight times in a in a six word sentence referring to the to the sheriff and uh i heard something click and i looked down and i saw the transmit light going it was green and it was going in and out 
And I look, and Tim's fat ass leg has got the mic keyed. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, no. This is not good. <laughs> so I cut the power off. I take the mic and I wing it over the, um, the rear view mirror, and we're just driving in complete silence. Nobody said a word. And uh, so I finally cut the radio back on because at this point, I don't know what was heard because we had low band radio systems at that time. We didn't have 800 yet. And you could have been, you know, depending on where you were at in the county, you could be getting your ass whipped and, and be screaming for help and never get it because nobody could hear you. Oh, hell, there were times out there on the highway, unless you knew if you were going down there, times you'd be far enough away from the radio tower. If you were like down, going down a hill, you know, in like a little bit of a valley and coming up, you'd, if you, you wait to stop cars till you're at the top of the hill. Cause if you're at the bottom, you knew those places in the county, no, you can't reach. Cause it was 44, nine, four, 45, 18, you know, all of that low band stuff. It just, you were, you were, you were, uh, you know, absent off the uh, radio system. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've. I've I turned radio back on and sheriff's call number was 101 and he said 101 to 312. Like I said, this time, I don't know what he's heard. So I played it off and I just keyed up. I said, go, go ahead. Like nothing happened. And he said, you need a 1025 my office ASAP. And I was like, Hmm, he heard something, but I don't know what it is. 1025 means in North Carolina. Meet, meet with meet meet with me. So, I keyed back up and I said, well, be advised, I'm in radar research school uh, today. And he keys it back up and he said, and bring all your stuff with you when you come. So I was like, oh, yeah, he's definitely, definitely heard some of the radio. (laughs) So one of the guys in the back seat (laughs) in the car. As a trained criminal investigator, you knew he heard the conversation. I I knew he heard (laughs) at least enough that pissed him off to fire me on the radio. One of the guys in the back seat didn't even work for us. He goes. I mean, you know how cops are. It was complete self-preservation at that point. He said, you think you think they're going to fire me too? And I said, you don't even fucking work here. I'm like, nobody knows who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so I go in and I tell what the thing uh, to ask. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, is it too soon? But uh, I tell the instructor what happened. Uh, I, I go back out in my car. I had a cell phone in there and Brad Glisson called me and he's like, oh my God. He said, that was fucking hilarious. And I said, Brad, what did he hear? And he said, all of it. And I said, what do you mean all of it? And he said, all of it. He said, my favorite part was when you said, that stupid motherfucker. <laughs> and I said, well, which time? And he said, all of them. <laughs> oh, and he said, I said, what do I do? I'm like, you know, what What? What do I do? And and uh, he said, well, look, he likes you. He said, uh, but, you know, you're, you're going to have to, you're going to wear something for this. And as well, I should. He said, but. Um, Come up here, fall on the sword, take your licks, let it be what it is. You're going to get suspended and, you know, come back and just, you know, lay down, do your job and, and let it just be what it is. And that's what I meant earlier when I said, you know, that, um, it was a blessing that I got promoted as early as I did. Cause I got to do a lot of things early in my career. Um, but it was a curse in that all that did was foster more of an ego, um, so my first response at that time to Brad was, well, if he wants my shit, tell him to come get it. And Brad's like, that's what I'm talking about. You know, that right there, which should have been, should have been the, you know, the light bulb going off, but I was mad. My, I guess more, I, cause I, anger is a secondary emotion. My first emotion was, you know, complete embarrassment. Number one, that I allowed it to be, allowed it to happen. 
you know, number two, it was on the radio in public. Um, and what I should have done was, you know, sucked it up and went, but it was still, you know, that was still part of my journey. You know, I had to take that journey to really learn, you know, if it's a, if it's a damn wiener measuring contest, I, you know, I always have the biggest one. So. Yeah, but you got to know too. There, there had to be a lot of people on that radio after you did that. They're going, "Yeah, he's my man. He's my guy. Yeah, you're a hero." Oh, I'm promising. If, if if we were from a Catholic community, there would be a card with my picture on it. <laughs> the patron saint, <laughs> yeah. ah, Kevin, Kevin Jackson Black. You know, we're, 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 you know. <laughs> patron saint of stupidity. <laughs> patron saint of saying what everybody else wanted to say, but didn't have the cojones to. That was pretty much it. I just kind of wished it wouldn't have been over the radio, but it, but it was. But they, uh, he meant it when he said, "We'll come." You know, when I told him I come get my shit, they did. I mean, they came and got it, and we laughed about it in the driveway. And then as everybody as they pulled away, it was kind of like that's when that's when reality slapped me in the face. And it's like, you know, what have what have you done? Because at that time, in in well, everywhere, um. You had to wait for somebody to die to get a job in law enforcement because I mean, we had, you know, everybody wanted to be a cop. It's not like nowadays, you know, where nobody wants to do it. Everybody wanted to do it. Oh, yeah. Back in the day when I applied for the patrol, uh, not the police department, but the patrol, um, they hired 16 people and 2,000 people applied for those 16 spots. Oh, 1984. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, and plus, you know, in North Carolina, you got some some major military bases, and, and a lot of people mm-hmm. love North Carolina. Don't want to yeah. leave. Yeah. Well, so um, so you're fired on a what on a Monday or a Tuesday or something? Wednesday. Wednesday. I, it was. It, yeah, I think it was. I think it was a Wednesday. It was middle of the week. It almost sounds like middle one of the, of the songs. Was on the radio on a Monday, and I did stupid shit to do run, run, run. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much. <laughs> Wednesday it. got my ass fired, and now I'm lit. Okay. So uh, what? So what'd you do? I mean, turn your shit over, and then what? What? What do you do the next day? Oh, I didn't turn it over. They came and got it. Um, so the next day, I get a phone call from the Lexington Police Department, and I uh, was one of the lieutenants there. And uh, he said, "Hey, you know, we heard what happened. We think it's funny. You know, he's an arrogant prick. Everybody hates him." Um, I said, "Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny until you know they really came and took my shit, and I'm unemployed." Hey, real quickly uh, on that radio transmission. I'm assuming like PDs and other folks could monitor that patrol. I mean, how many people do you think ended up hearing your radio transmission? Mm, it's kind of like the alcohol thing. Everybody. <laughs> 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 yeah, everybody. If there's 150,000 people in the county. There was probably 148,000 that heard it. The shot heard round the world. You know the rumor line. The rumor lines within law enforcement that the rumors travel. Quick. Oh, it traveled really quick. Yeah, I was on the phone for two days. Three forms of communication: telephone, telegraph, telecop. It gets around pretty fast. Oh so, yeah, it got around fast, yep. fast. Yeah, but you had to be getting calls of congratulation too from people going, "Yeah, you're going to get far, but man, you're my hero." Yeah, a lot of people. You know, a lot of people uh, thought it was the you know the greatest thing in the world, and they called to congratulate me. But nobody offered to pay my power bill. <laughs> only Lexington PD is the only one who came with the job offer, huh? They, they did. They actually did. They they came and uh, they they came and they were very gracious. Um, they offered me a job, and I took it. And uh, and great men and women at that department. I can't say anything bad about it. But how big it of a department was it? Uh, I think at that time, probably 60, 70 officers, maybe. Yeah, but this kind of sounds like high point again. I mean, it sounds like uh, you're not cut out to be confined, just like you're not cut out for manual labor. No, and it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, 
I just, I didn't, I didn't really like it. And, um, it just wasn't, it just wasn't my fit. And, you know, I probably should have just put my head down and, and done it. But then, you know, I'd have missed out on all the other fun stuff that's happened since then. But I saw the sheriff one day at the, um, at the magistrate's office near the jail. And, uh, I mean, obviously by now everybody can tell he's got a, you know, a huge ego. So I decided to play into it and, uh, I spoke to him and, uh, he said, how's it going black? And I said, well, sheriff, I said, not too great. You know, I lost about a buck an hour, you know, that, that hurt. And, uh, you know, it's just not as, it's just not as fun as working for you. You know, this is the greatest apartment in the world. You know, you're wonderful and I really miss it. And he said, we all have to learn, learn, uh, learn life lessons. And I said, yeah, I said, uh, you know, it'd be, be great maybe to come back one day. And I never, I never truly apologized because I didn't mean a lot of it. Cause I had a lot of, a lot of pent up aggression, but, um, and I did, I did, I, you know, and it helped me out later working narcotics. You know, I, I learned, you know, how to read people. I knew he had a huge ego and I knew if I stroked it, it may work out to my benefit. And it did. And uh, he told me to go downstairs and tell the, Hill his admin assistant to go ahead and put my name in the hopper because they had a couple openings and get the paperwork started. How long before was it? How long? So how long were you at Lexington before you went back to uh, the sheriff's uh, office? Pro- probably six or eight months. Um, I went ahead and left while I was, you know, finishing up the process and got out and got away, you know, and and because uh, I knew that that was coming and it um, went went back to work and it was, you know, then 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 it was. For sure, everybody's like, "Oh, your last name should be Heggy. That's really your dad." You know, nobody would put up that kind of <laughs> take that kind of shit from anybody else. <laughs> oh my god! Because everybody's like, so they knew that the whole thing. I was adopted then, and you know, like, yeah, that's got to be your dad. So, did you ever take a DNA test with the sheriff to prove that you weren't his son? <laughs> no, I'm afraid to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because being his kid is Oof, not a compliment. No. no. <laughs> so, so you're back to work. Damn. So, what what goes on now? I mean, are you back to doing what you did before? So I'm back on patrol. Um, well, let me back up. There was about a month long period there where he wanted to see how bad I wanted to work there. And he put me as one of the full-time, um, road guards escorting prisoners, picking up trash, which honestly was a lot of fun. Cause it was warm out, you know, women would come by and wave at you. You're standing there, you know, in your uniform with a shotgun and you got a bunch of guys at that time, he made them wear white and uh, black striped, uh, inmate clothes. So I'm out working the chain gang with the, you know, with the inmates. You know, and for our listeners, if you if you Google Sheriff Gerald Hagee, H-E-G-E, you can see a lot of those pictures. Oh, yeah. One of the one of the pictures is a road crew out there. He used to make the big posters. Sure did. He'd post them sure around did. the county. And, and honestly, you know, if I was ever if I was ever sheriff, um, I would go back to doing that tomorrow, because um, I, I think the community likes it and the inmates, you know. Instead of twenty three and one lockdown, you get to actually go outside and you know feel like you're doing something. Um, and but it, I think I think it was it was a, it was a great marketing tool, you know, when he'd run for reelection and stuff because everybody loved it. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing Joe Arpaio did, you know, out at Maricopa County. You know, he the put two of prisoners- them used to go back and forth on who was the toughest sheriff. They would they would go back and forth constantly. I had a chance to meet Arpaio out at a conference one time. We actually went out. We're in the facilities out there. And, uh, yeah, they kind of did the same thing. They painted things. Uh, what he wanted to do, and I kind of agreed with him. He said, look, if, if sleeping in a tent is good enough for our men and women in the military, it's good enough for prisoners. It is. And, it is. Uh, you know, I put them in pink. He would make pink underwear so you wouldn't be, you know, think about stealing them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just a lot of the same things. But, yeah, 
kind of a wiener measuring contest again, you know, between who's the tougher sheriff. So, but, um, so you do the road gang for, you know, a month and then what does he decide? He decides, Hey, I'll let you back on the road now. Yeah. They, they put me, they put me back on patrol. Uh, I got back on SWAT. Um, and, uh, during that time I had a friend of mine that was murdered on duty. My, um, we were zone partners, but we worked opposite shifts of each other. Uh, he'd be on, you know, when he was on days, I was on nights, but you know, we would always, you know, exchange information at that time. I mean, this is going back years ago. You had a warrant box for your zone. It would have the actual paper copies of the warrants for the people you were looking for. So, so Todd and I got to be, Todd Cook and I got to be really good friends. And during that time, uh, prior to me going back to the drug unit, uh, Todd was, Todd was murdered serving a warrant. And, and can you give us the particulars of that? So the guy was, uh, it's pretty, you know, actually, a um, a more affluent neighborhood. Um, the guy was wanted from in the city of Lexington for a possible statutory rape case that they were investigating. And, uh, the, and I won't mention any names, but the, uh, the investigating detective, um, from what I was told, I don't know it to be a hundred percent left that part out that, uh, she liked him for a, uh, statutory rape and asked Todd if he would go by and serve. They had a misdemeanor trespassing warrant. So at that time at our agency, um, the sheriff and I used to have copies of them. I don't know what I did with them over the years, but people had complained about being, you know, three or four deputies on a call or something like that. And instead of explaining to the public, Hey, you know, sometimes, um, the situation dictates, you know, more manpower and, and that, but, but he wouldn't do that. So everything was a knee jerk reaction. And he had put out a memo that, uh, only one deputy per call unless otherwise authorized. And Todd did, and not, not to blame Todd at all. Cause you know, he's the, obviously the victim. He went to serve a warrant by himself and, uh, the guy ended up murdering him and, uh, and ended up killing him for a second degree trespass. Yeah. Pulled up his page on the Officer Down Memorial page, uh, Deputy Sheriff Larry Todd Cook, end of watch, January 27th, 2000. Yep. Got his bracelet on him. And, you know, the he was serving a misdemeanor trespassing warrant. He had gone to the suspect's home alone to serve the warrant when the suspect shot him with the shotgun in the back of the head, the back and the legs. Another person in the house called 911. A chase ensued with officers from several agencies. When the killer crashed into a road, if you're going to put a roadblock up, that's a good time to put a fucking roadblock up. I was in that chase and I saw him hit. I saw him hit those two cars that they that they blocked the road with. How did you get involved in that chase? Were you off duty, coming on duty, or did you just self deploy? I was off duty. I would have been on duty that night at 1800. Was my uh, would have been my watch. Um, my wife and I at the time uh, were at a, a restaurant eating sup or eating lunch. Uh, she worked at the uh, clerk court's office. And my SWAT pager went off. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I don't remember exactly what the page had uh, other than an officer down. My car at the time was actually at the uh, county maintenance garage. It, would, it had been serviced. So I had her. I had on, I mean, it's in the wintertime. Um, I had on, um, you know, jeans, civilian clothes, jeans, coat, whatever. She immediately takes me to the garage. I pick up my car. Now they're starting, you know, there's chatter on the radio. You know, we've got an officer down, didn't know who it was. Um, they're giving out suspect information, possible suspect vehicle information, and everybody's just trying to figure out, trying to get vectored into the possible area where the the bad guy may be. You know, 
when I get in the car, uh, I throw a, just a light vest on and uh, grab a shotgun, had it in the front seat of the car, um, listen to the radio, trying to figure out where everybody's at. I knew there was no need in going to the house, uh, which because I was pretty close to the residence, um, and I'm glad now that I didn't go because um, I know it said he was shot with a uh, with a shotgun, which he was. But what they didn't put in there is when the guy the guy goes back to the bedroom and takes a uh, an AK-47. Uh, semi-automatic AK-47 rifle, and as he's coming back through the house, steps across Todd's body, which is laying in the doorway, and gives him two more rounds on the way out the door. Um, one of them hit the chest. Um, one of them hit the uh, the plate in the vest. And I think, if I remember correctly, the way it was just told to us later, that round ricochets off the trauma plate in the vest, hits him somewhere in the the cheek, in the face. Uh, and I, then I think the second round uh, went completely through face and blew back his head off. Over a misdemeanor trespassing yeah. warrant. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. And uh, so I'm heading down to the area uh, where they said, you know, the vehicle was last seen. Um, uh, we get there. Uh, somebody actually jumps the guy up, physically gets eyes on him, jumps him up. Car chase ensues. We end up on uh, Linwood Southmont Road, which is literally, if there was any place to do a roadblock, that was the place to do it because there's nothing but farmland on both sides of the road on a long, flat stretch. And uh, two of our officers uh, parked their cars side by side and, you know, a long ways in the road. And the engine blocked, engine blocked. And uh, so I'm in, I'm in the group with the chase. You know, there's, God, I don't know how many of us. And you could see officers because it's a long straightaway coming from the other direction and the guy hits both of the cars. And, um, I would have assumed that it would have slowed it down a little bit more than it did, but it didn't. It actually knocked the cars apart and the guy goes through. And of course, you know, we're, we're, we're right there close behind him. And, uh, he runs off the road and dips down into a ditch by a telephone pole. And, uh, as I'm getting out of the car, I'm hearing gunshots, but what I don't realize is the gunshots are the people in front of us shooting down toward the car. Um, and all I see is guys that I know and several of them were SWAT guys that I knew and they're advancing on the car. So in my mind, I mean, that's what I, that's where I need to be. I need to be with them advancing on the car. And as, uh, I don't know, maybe 25 yards from the car, um, we see the guy moving and he fires a round off and you see the top of his head explode because he's kind of leaned toward the window. And I think the only reason he did that was he had to get the barrel underneath his chin. And uh, so he shoots himself and blows, blows the top of his head off because we'd have been glad to do it for him that day. You know, there was um, we had a um, I was working as a Salina police officer. I wasn't involved in this chase, but I was on the north end of town, but a Riley County police officer, Don Harbor. I remember because that was the first cop funeral I went to. and uh, he was. They had what they called resident officers, Riley County PD, big county next to Fort Riley. And he'd gone to a pawn shop just, you know, over some stolen, um, you know, stolen property or whatever. And the guys shoot him, kill him, get into a car chase. And they're going down the interstate. Actually, not interstate. K-18, I believe it is. But um, patrols involved in the chase. We've got a couple of saline officers involved in the chase. And um, they've got a roadblock set up. And right before he hits the roadblock, he, uh, you know, kills himself. And... Captain Johnson, we're in the academy. He's talking about this. And I remember this to the day exactly kind of what you were alluding to, Kevin. This is the way he says it. He goes, 
you shoot a cop, you're bought and paid for. And that was that was the lesson we all got out of the academy. And it's like because they they were prepared. They they there was a bridge, there was an overpass. Um, they had lined up like you said, engine block to engine block. He was not getting past them, and they were going to take his ass out. And he shot, killed himself, went off the side of the highway, ran into the side of the bridge abutment, and uh, you know saved the taxpayers a lot of money. But he robbed uh, you know uh, everybody else from getting justice that day. And and Todd Todd Cook. Um we were together at a class in Lumberton, North Carolina. The, uh, the day he found out that his, uh, his, uh, wife or I can't remember if wife or girlfriend at the time was pregnant, that there was going to be, you know, some possible complications with, with the child. And, uh, she was actually born beautiful little girl. She was born with, um, with down syndrome. And I remember, I'll never forget it. Um, we talked about it at length that night and, and, uh, Todd was just such a happy-go-lucky guy, and he said, "You know, he said God gives special special children to special people." And um, he was killed. I think it was about a week before her first birthday. Oh man, that makes it so yeah, much it said worse. He had served with the sheriff's office for three years. He survived by his fiance and young daughter. Yeah, yeah. It was a week before. I think it was a week before her first birthday. Right there, close. Never forget it. No, and you, you don't forget stuff like that. Um, yeah, well, and it's obvious you folks can't see this too, but even to this day, you know, Kevin, it's, it's uh, you know, we don't want to talk about this stuff, but guys, this is the real world. I mean, this is, this kind of goes back to when that officer got shot the first one, and that's when you finally realized this is no longer a game. No, no. You, know, you, you had said something interesting, though, too, or in a quick break. You said you thought that um, Todd was killed because of the actions of the sheriff, because of some of his policies. I harbor, I harbor a lot of, um, I harbor a lot of ill feelings of that to this day because I think if uh, due to his uh, arrogance, uh, lack of ability to communicate, uh, not only to you know to to us and he was I mean as far he was a media star um, Steve can tell you that instead of standing up to the community I mean he uh, well and I don't really think so much it was the community is I think some of the commissioners you know, would call and complain about, well, there's three deputies here, there's four deputies here, or there's two here, what what are they doing? Instead of saying, you know, well, they're probably doing their damn job and what difference does it make? He had sent out a memo that, you know, one deputy per call unless otherwise authorized. And I think that, I think that was, I, I don't know. Uh, I know the brother of the suspect was in the basement and during his interview, he said he heard two voices upstairs. One of me obviously knew another one. He didn't know, which would have been Todd. And he said, he heard a single set of footsteps go down the hallway. And the, the brother said he heard what sounded, you know, uh, I, I don't remember how he described it, but it, I think inevitably it was the shotgun racking. And, uh, he said he heard the footsteps or no, heard another set of footsteps come back toward, uh, the, the back of the house, which probably was Todd. He heard it. He's he's going down the hall, and then he hears someone run and yell, "Stop! Don't!" Something along that lines, and then he heard the first shot. And I think the first shot, and I, I may be wrong because it's been so long. I think the first shot caught him in the lower back above his butt. I think was the first one. I think it was a slug, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So it, it went through, uh, it missed the vest. If I, if, if I remember, if I remember correctly, it missed the vest and that probably would have been fatal, but then he shoots him a couple more times, goes back, gets the rifle, comes out, steps across him, puts two more, goes on, 
you know, goes on and ends up in the chase. Well, but that's the other thing, though, too, is that you think it's just serving a warrant. There's never such thing as a routine warrant service. There's never anything such as a routine traffic stop. There's never anything as a routine interaction. Well, we said earlier, I said karma's a bitch, but in this case, it's a good bitch. So let's 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 bring the sheriff's career to a close because it is just so that people know, like say, when you go look it up, I was just looking at stuff. He was trying to bolster his national image. He was on a court TV program entitled Inside Cell Block F. Um, He uh, appeared on Larry King Live 2020, America's Most Wanted. uh, And that there were rumors that he was going to run for a sheriff. And then he did a lot of, I mean, just stuff that would be... um, you know, he he was just trying to stoke controversy. After 9-11, it said a Christmas card set out by the sheriff featured him in the desert wearing a black jumpsuit with the bloody sword and the severed head <laughs> of did. Osama bin Laden with the title Happy Ramadan. Yeah, it oh, did. Geez. I forgot about that, but it sure, he sure did. He sure did. You know, Morgan, this guy, you go in his office. You know how when, when you have a TV interview, they'll bring in lights and they'll set the lights up to shine towards you. He had them permanently mounted in the ceiling of his office. All you had to do is flip a switch and he's ready he to go on TV. Did. Absolutely did. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> Kevin, let's talk about the demise of this sheriff because it, it's like you talk about turning in all your shit. A um, couple years later, after all this stuff happens, the sheriff uh, kind of has his comeuppance, uh, you know, uh, karma visits. Uh, there was, you know, a little bit of lag time in there. Um, I, I'd gotten the drug unit, um, started working. Um, which is a whole, you know, whole nother story. Cause actually when I left, uh, several of those guys got indicted and ended up in federal prison. Uh, Murph remembers that story. But, um, so I ended up leaving, uh, I did, I did a, um, I'm in a drug unit, you know, a- actively working, uh, working drug cases. And there was a neighboring agency. I was now by this time I'd, I'd pulled my head completely out of my ass. Um, I was having a child, uh, a second child, and knew this is what I wanted to do for a career and knew that if I wanted to, you know, I really wanted to go to work for for, for DEA um, at this point in my life, but I knew I had to have an education. And so I buckled down, started going to college, uh, graduated. So in the meantime, um, the drug unit guys, um, I end up doing a case, guy flips, He's on federal probation, and uh, he gets caught with several ounces of uh, crack cocaine. Uh, I'm on call. I come in and interview the guy. Uh, at, at that time, and Murph will know this, I was not um, uh, versed in you can't work somebody on federal probation without a limited immu- uh, limited uh, use agreement. So I'd called his federal probation officer and told him, you know, this guy's wanting to work. And my lieutenant tells me, if they call back, don't answer the phone. Cause it's going to completely screw up everything. So I didn't know. So we end up setting up a kilo, uh, kilo cocaine by bust with his source, stick him in the car, take him by, he shows us the guy. Um, two counties over is where the guy came from. We were able to figure all that out before we did the by bust. And it ended up being in Iredale County, which is Statesville, North Carolina. Uh, my close friend, Darren Campbell's a the sheriff there now. So they set up, they watched the guy leave. They follow him to, um, he wouldn't come to Davidson County, but he would come to Rowan. And uh, so the Rowan County guys, we got with them. So we set up and we take this guy off. So that's, uh, 
later that afternoon is when I found out uh, how mad a federal probation officer could be after I told him that we utilized him to <laughs> facilitate, a, facilitate a kilo of cocaine by bust. Now, did the lieutenant um, tell you not to take the call because he knew about he the knew, limited he use? He knew. Yeah. He just said, don't answer the phone if that probation officer calls again till after we're done with this deal. Your lieutenant's kind of sounds like you're recruited from the uh, National Guard. Hey, come in here in the back. We're going to fix your paperwork. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because yeah. I, I ended up having to go to Norfolk, Virginia to testify because his federal uh, firearms case where he was trafficking firearms uh, was out of Norfolk, Virginia. So I had to go up and testify at his uh, supervisor. Yeah, supervised release violation hearing that, you know, I called him with, you know, four ounces of, or our guys called him four ounces of, you know, crack cocaine on him. And then he facilitated a, you know, a kilo uh, by bust. And the U.S. Attorney's Office wasn't real happy either because he had to get some, you know, consideration for, you know, for assisting law enforcement. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I had no idea that that was, you know, you know, it's you live and you learn, I guess. Yeah, learn, learn as you go. So uh, my partner at the time was 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 Todd Cates. Uh, he had applied to ATF and was was he was just waiting for a school date. And there was some screwed up things. I don't know if you guys want to hear this or not. That I, that we kind of started noticing about the people that we work with at that time. And I'd made the the decision. I was offered a better position with uh, the Iredell County Sheriff's Office. Um, and I thought that was probably a, a good opportunity for me to advance my career. So I, I left. Um, and then that's when about a year or so later, the, the, some of the guys that I worked with went to federal prison and then the sheriff would have got, let's see, that would have been 2001. And then the sheriff was indicted and removed from office in 2003. So tell us about that because, uh, you know, you can pull up some stories on that, but it's like, but, at some point, you got to pay the piper, right? He's been doing a lot of this stuff. He's been getting away with a lot of stuff because he fancies himself to be the high sheriff. I mean, you get people like that, they think they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof, and then pretty soon what happens? They start doing shit that's illegal. Yeah, I don't, you know, uh, they interviewed, the SBI, State Bureau of Investigation, interviewed a lot of us, uh, and I was interviewed. Um, there was weird things. Uh, so... Well, like now I'm, a, I'm a drug unit supervisor and have been, you know, f for years. So when we get, when I get by money, um, uh, you know, it may be 5,000, excuse me, it may be 10,000 or whatever. When I get that amount of money, you know, that's to facilitate, you know, narcotics investigations, criminal investigations, pay informants. So, you know, the people that work for me, you know, I get that money. It goes in a book. It goes in a ledger. My expenditures, just like a checkbook or in that ledger, it goes to my guys. They do the same thing. And then, you know, we account for that at the end of each month. And, you know, we, we do our balances. Well, uh, Gerald Heggie wouldn't do that. So previously, the checks for buy money would come in the name of the drug unit supervisor who would then cash the money and start a ledger, you know, for finance purposes and accountability purposes. Well, the sheriff would make him turn over the check to him. So him being at that time, it was, uh, it was Brad Glisson, Steve knows, um, he was smart enough to contact finance and said, I no longer want these checks coming in my name. I let, let them come in the sheriff's name. He can disperse, uh, special funds as he sees fit. So I didn't really think much about it until the sheriff called and he had a guy that, um, 
kept raising hell, wanting to work, wanting to work. None of the guys wanted to work with him. He was just a shitbird. Nobody wanted to be around this dude. He was, you know, he was a magnet for trouble, but the sheriff just kept, kept on. So one of the other guys that worked with us had to go pick him up one day and help him move to a, uh, to, to an, uh, a motel room that we were putting him up in. And he got so pissed off at him halfway up the road. He just pulls over in McDonald's parking lot, throws the guy out of his car with all of his shit with him and drives off. So <laughs> since, since I was the new guy in the unit, um, the sheriff decided that I needed to work this guy as an informant. So he sent word down. And uh, so I told the sheriff, I said, well, I don't, I don't have any buy money. You know, we're zeroed out right now. Come by the office. I'll give you some. So I go by the office and uh, go, go in and see him. He slides a desk drawer out. And I don't remember. He gave me maybe $500,000 cash, hands it to me out of the desk drawer. So I immediately go back to my office because I was trained to, you know, account for, for money. And I start, you know, my, my special funds monthly report with the amount of money that, you know, that I got from him. And to my understanding, I think that come back later on, um, when investigation was done on him, that he was, uh, he was actually diverting some of that money for, you know, personal, personal things and, and, and whatnot, you know, and I think he, he tried to say he was paying informants, but as Murphy knows, there was no payment sheets. There was nothing, nothing to account for those, for that money. You got to document that stuff and have witnesses. <laughs> well, so I pulled this up. So let's talk about what the, so after this investigation, here's what the sheriff gets charged with. Five counts of embezzlement by a public officer. Five counts of obtaining property by false pretenses. Two counts of obstruction of justice. One count of endeavoring to intercept oral communications. One count of aiding and abetting to endeavor to intercept oral communications. And one count of aiding and abetting to obtain property by false pretenses. Now, <laughs> he's getting, you talk about getting jammed up. He's, yeah, you know, so, um, it's a good thing the F- FBI did it because they're, they're tossing the book at him. Yeah, right they, now. they threw everything, you know, they threw everything they could, which I mean, the, the son of a bitch was guilty of every bit of it. But I, one quick side note on that live from Cell Block F show, the very first show he did, it was filmed live by Court TV, and somebody called in on the phone and said, uh, when they were taking questions and said, I've been to the Davidson County Jail, and all I got was fucked. And he started laughing and hung up the phone. My phone, and I'm watching this real time, and I'm laughing and giggling. My phone rings at the house, and somebody said, you dumb son of a bitch, we know that was you on the phone. And I said, I swear to God, I had nothing to do with it. And there was five calls back to back. As soon as I would hang up, somebody called, we're like, we know that was you. We know that was you. It sounded just like you on the phone. And I'm going, God, I'm going to get fired again. I didn't even do anything this time. You can tell us. It's time I to did, get it off I your did, chest. If I did, I would wear it like a badge of honor at this point in my life. But, <laughs> but yeah, I got accused of it. Oh, that's funny. So the the oral the the legal wiretapping that he was charged with, um, there was some there was some fallout. There was there was a guy that was over public buildings. It was a great guy. Still is to this day. He. Uh, some of the people that work for him, actually two people, his secretary and his assistant director, because he was over public buildings at the time, had reached out because he thought the two of them were, were conspiring to, to to take his job, and then, which is actually what they were doing. So the sheriff tells him, he's like, look, hide a baby monitor in her office. She's your secretary. It's a public building. Put the, you know, the other part of it in your office, and that way, you, you know, you can hear. Well, in essence, that's an illegal wiretap. 
Uh, and, and the bad thing was, is that particular person got wrapped up in it, never had any, you know, any criminal charges at all, was taking the word from, you know, the high sheriff that that was, you know, that that was legal and, and it wasn't. And he was kind of he was fallout in all of that. And, and what pissed me off to this day is they made him they made him plead to a damn felony. What? Yeah. They made him plead to a felony. County fired him. Sure did. Wasn't there another ordeal where uh, Hagee got involved with the 911 system there? He got, had a hard on for Lexington City, and he – I can't remember. Something he he wouldn't allow 911 calls for the city to go through his 911 operators. He said he owned them, and they'd have to get their own, some crap like that. Yeah, there was there was some – I don't remember. All, there was some pissing contest, and he controlled 911, and then they had uh, – there was something to do with, you know, the dispatchers were, then they became like specific sheriff's office only. Then, you know, the police department handled one side. It was, there was always, I mean, always something with him. Yeah. Just, just constantly. Yeah. He, yeah. he was always getting yeah. shit stirred up. Fortunately, he was, now the other thing too, is that if you read the information correctly, he had this thing is no deals. We don't make any deals except he took a deal. He took a he plea sure deal. Did. He absolutely took a deal. Mm-hmm. He still went to prison. No, though. he actually didn't. Uh, he, um, he was able to avoid prison? Yeah, North Carolina screwed up. You know, I've talked to people from from California and other places, and if you get convicted of a felony, you're going to do 12 months uh, at, at least. But North Carolina, you can catch felonies with no priors, and all you're going to get is uh, probation. And then subsequently, you can fuck up while you're on probation. They'll put you on double secret probation. So it's if you if you go to prison in North Carolina, you really worked hard <laughs> to get there. You got to be a good criminal to go to yeah. prison. You got to yeah. be good yeah, at it. You got to be right? really good at it because you're, you're going to get every chance under the sun. Well, but but this but this freaking uh, soap opera doesn't stop because he he tries to run for sheriff. I think three more times. Yeah, he tried to run uh, a couple more times. I was telling Murph at, at one of the breaks. Um, they actually they call it. Well, everybody refers to it as a Gerald Heggie law because at that time, for whatever reason, in North Carolina, there was no law in the books that said if you were a felon, you couldn't, you could not run for uh, for sheriff. So the legislature passes a law that says, you know, you can if you're a felon, you can't run for sheriff anymore. Which he ran one time, if I remember correctly, as a felon, and. Uh, Later on, North Carolina uh, used to be 15 years nonviolent felonies. You could apply for expungement. And then uh, the wonderful governor, Roy Cooper, that we have now uh, changed, knocked it down, if I remember correctly, under his administration to five years. So Gerald was within that window of time and got his uh, got his crimes expunged and then was able to circumvent the, the convicted felon part of it and then run for sheriff. Of course, he lost, but he did he did run again. How would he get up get by carrying a weapon as a deputy when or as a police officer when that's a federal offense? He's a convicted felon. So I guess once it's expunged, I don't know I don't know how that ends oh, okay. up on, on the yeah. on the federal side of it. Um, yeah. yeah, I just pulled that up. It said it they changed from fifteen to ten years, but he still got past yep, his ten got years, got off his probation. Yeah. I think I think during the original thing, he could have been elected sheriff, he just could not have carried a gun. So he could have been a sheriff without a gun. But what they did is they closed the the loop, uh, closed the loophole on that one. Up to Mount Airy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with Barney, just put that one carry, you know, carry it around with one bullet, oh, you'd be fine. Yeah, because I think he, I think he pled to um, maybe an obstruction count. It, it, I think he, I think he pled to one between one and three counts. I believe mm-hmm. is what they let him plead to, and then you know he got probation or whatnot. And, and he's back to writing books. He, he, he's still in the. He's trying to. He's still trying to glam onto the spotlight and stuff. Writing books and wants to get himself out there again. Oh, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube. If you go and look, um, 
when I do uh, one of the presentations I do when undercover operations go wrong, uh, I start out very briefly just kind of covering my story. And I've got a video clip on there of uh, of him and some of the asinine stuff he used to do. I, I, he's done things that I've never heard of anywhere else in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, look. As we close this up, talk real quickly too, Kevin, about wh- how you and Murph met, you know, and some of the stuff, some of the work you guys did together. So uh, when I was in the drug unit the the, the last time uh, before I left to, to go to another agency, um, I guess it would have been me and Steve and the guys I worked with and, and Kevin Alton and those guys in Rowan County worked that case. I think it was at Bobby Peace and some of that crowd uh, that, you know, that we worked on. And that's, that's how I got to meet Steve. And Steve had a um, a young agent then, um, a guy by the name of Steve Jones that I, that I met and got to work with. Okay, so we got we got too many Steves going on here. So you call Murph, you call Steve Murphy Murph, so that we know which Steve we're talking well, about. Call, here. call the the federal Steve Jones Jonesy because you had Steve Jones there at the sheriff's department. Yep. Yep. It's confl- it's, yep. I always called him Jonesy. You know, sure it's did. It's all incestuous. Sure morning. did. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it was, you know, and I got to say, that's some of the best law enforcement officers I've ever worked with in my life. And people look down, you know, big city guys look down at the smaller agencies like, oh, we're just a bunch of country bumpkins. But you know what? I could call Kevin. I could call uh, any of the officers there in Davidson County or later in Rowan County. I could call them at 2 a.m. and say, I need you out there at 3, and they'd beat me there. I mean, dedicated to service, professional. Uh, You didn't have to worry, well— Eventually, I guess there were integrity issues there at Davidson with Jody and some of the guys. <laughs> yeah, there but, two, two of them. <laughs> but, uh, and I remember the first assistant, well, he wasn't the first, the chief of narcotics, I think it was, called me from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Greensboro, and I was already a supervisor in Atlanta. And I uh, hadn't talked to him in quite some time, and he said, I'm just giving you a heads up. Uh, you know, you boys in Davidson, he said, a bunch of them got indicted federal, federally and just giving you a heads up. And I said, well, how does my name come up in this? You know, because we did a lot of work together down there. And he said, not a single one has mentioned your name. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> but I mean, it's down in Rowan, we 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 put uh we worked an OCDF case for two years. We locked up, I think it was seventy eight people on federal charges in two years out of Rowan County, yeah, specifically sure Salisbury did. in that area right there. Good people, just good, damn good people. So we'll have to do a follow-up and talk about that other one, but that's that's kind of a bummer. We've got enough, uh, you know, bad shit happening in this one. Just wait a second, Murph. Hold on. Wait a minute. Do you smell that? Do you guys smell that? Did somebody crap their pants? Uh, hold on a minute. Kevin? I'm pretty good this time. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I've been waiting on this one. You thought we forgot. I'm sorry, Kevin. I showed him the email. Oh. <laughs> we got a we got a funny uh, story. Here. Well, I was I was drunk in DC for several days, so I don't know what exactly I said. Alcohol seems to be involved in a lot of your bad decisions. <laughs> well, it does. It does. I've learned to control it over the years. Well, um, and you voluntarily yeah, sent this yeah. information. Like, wow. I did voluntarily. I did. I did. So we got to tell people. So let's let's talk about this. Let's set the stage for the day. You're at a conference, right? Where at? Uh, actually, no. I was uh, so a friend, my, my my best friend that you know I grew up with. He he's he runs a guide service in southeastern Ohio. Uh, he guides whitetail deer hunts, and I'd I'd actually been up there with him helping um, guide some hunters in camp. He had a lot of hunters there for a few days, and I'd got a sinus infection. And uh, when I got back home. 
and I doctor put me on antibiotics and you know for a couple of days I just kinda laid around the house, didn't really do a lot. And um I had a meeting. Um I've been on the North Carolina Narcotics Officers Association executive board since two thousand three. And we had a meeting in Durham and one of the board members at that time was over Durham County Alcohol Law Enforcement. And he had us meet at their facility, which was a you know, pretty nice facility, but it is um it is Durham, so it's you know, Durham's either haves or haves nots or have nots and it was a, a have not kind of area. Um, you know, transient people, homeless people, whatever. And uh, so we go in, have our meeting. Well on the way to the meeting, I'd stopped at uh, Bojangles, which is a uh, you know a chicken place here in in the south, and I uh, got some kind of spicy chicken sandwich. And uh like I said I hadn't eaten anything for two days. So at the conclusion of the meeting I told him, I said, Hey look guys, I'm gonna run and take a leak real quick and then I'll you know we'll, we'll head out. So I walk into the bathroom and uh, I'm standing at the urinal peeing, and I sneeze. And as soon as I sneezed, I shit all over myself. I mean, it was like an explosion. It was, I mean, like nothing I've ever experienced before. And uh, since. I paused, I paused literally midstream, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking around thinking, did this, did this really happen? And I, I, I realize, okay, there's nobody in here. So I reach around, and I touch the back of my pants, and it's like there's a pillow in it. And uh, so I shuffle, I shuffle to the door and I lock it and uh, I pull my pants down to, to assess the damage. And uh, it literally feels like I'm standing there with a pillow on my ass. So I'm afraid to even move my underwear. And uh, as all good cops do, you know, you got a, you got a folding pocket knife or at least, at least one. Uh, I reach down to get my pocket knife out and I cut my underwear off like a diaper. <laughs> and I cut one leg and I cut the other and I take it and I, I, I'm trying not to get any on me and I fold it up and I set it in the trash can and I turned around and I looked in the mirror and it was from the top of the bottom of my back down and it looked like I'd set in a, like a chocolate cake oh, and I'm like Jesus Christ how am I going to because I'm, I'm looking at the sink and my ass is bigger than the sink so I know it's not going to fit but I've got to wash my ass somehow so I shuck some paper towels off, and I go to start to, to, to wipe down, and my hand, the, the paper towel catches, oh. and my hand just keeps going. And I look, and it looks like jello pudding. Oh, oh. So I get my hands cleaned up, and I, and I get one ass cheek at a time in the sink, and I finally get everything squared away, get cleaned up, don't, you know. Get my pants zipped up. I, I take the the diaper that's in the the trash can. I lay some paper towels over it, and I leave. And uh, I walk out, and I get in the car with my buddy. And he says, "He said, what's what's wrong with you?" And I said, "Nothing. I don't even want to talk about it." So finally, we get halfway down the road, and I tell him, "Well, he's he's just rolling in the passenger seat." And I'm like, "Bro, you can't make me laugh." I said, "If I shit, it's going straight in my boots. There's nothing to stop it." And uh, didn't think anything else about it. That was in fe- January, late January. And uh, fast forward to May of that year, we uh, we were, you know, preparing for our spring conference at Carolina Beach. And we always get there a day early, get everything set up for the, you know, the people that are coming in. And we're all sitting around the room that night, just, you know, joking, having a few drinks. And uh, the guy that was on the board at the time from uh, Durham ABC Enforcement said, damn, guys, he said, you know, he said, I forgot to tell you all this. He said, I guess we didn't get the door shut good when uh, we had our meeting last. He said, because some homeless guy came in and shit the trash can in our office. <laughs> he said, he 
said, it was horrible. <laughs> well, I bust out laughing, and the guy that was with me that, that knew knew what had happened, he's laughing, and uh, Brian Arrington was the guy's name. Brian looks over at me, and he said, he said are you going to tell him? And uh, uh, Keith said, tell me what? And I said, I'm the homeless guy who's shooting your trash can. <laughs> So I tell him the story, and after he gets done laughing, he said, why why didn't you tell anybody? And I said, well, I was really planning on taking it to the grave, (laughs) but you know, since since you brought it up. Oh, that's, that's got, I know, I know a lot of our listeners are thinking right now, you guys are all freaking sick. <laughs> and to this day, I bet when you get ready to squeeze one off, that flashback comes back like, do I do it or don't I? Is it just yeah, gas yeah, or yeah. is it liquid? I, yeah. What, yeah. I was going to yeah. have lunch after yep. this recording. I think I'm going to skip for a while. <laughs> well, I sure as hell ain't going to eat spicy chicken from Bojangles. That's off my list for not, right not now. Not on antibiotics and an empty stomach. I would not recommend it. Oh, man. I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this, this whole interview. We've had some funny stories. This is one of the funniest ever. And that's why I saved it to the end. We dealt with a lot of dark stuff, but, you know, cops, you deal with everything. But, man, if you can't laugh at that's yourself exactly and you can't right. laugh at this stuff, that's it's exactly like, right. you know. Yep, that's exactly right. And exactly I got to tell right. you, you know, it's one of those things. I I got nothing. You know, you try to think of what I've done a couple of embarrassing things, well, you but know. never cramp my never crap my pants in public, cut off my underwear with my own knife and shoved it into a waste disposal well, and, system. And just for our listeners and, and Kevin's benefit also, we're not laughing at, with you. We're laughing at you here, brother. We're laughing at you. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Well, you know, cops and vets are the same way. They're, they're the type of people that talk smack to your face and say good thing behind your backs. The people you don't want to work with are the people that say nice things to your face and talk smack behind your back. So, Amen. Amen. And when I say we're going to give you a ration of shit, I guess that's a literal meeting. Yeah, now. literal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, Kevin, Kevin has been gracious enough to invite Javier and I twice to speak at the uh, North Carolina Narcotics Officers Association, and we have a blast every time we go. But if I come back a third time, I might have to tell on you, Kev. I'm not sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> the order of the poopy diaper. You get a little badge you get to wear and everything. Oh, I love it. I love it. Those guys. Well, well hey, before we close this out, let's let's close out on a, a good note, too. What, what are you doing now? So uh, after you crapped your pants and you came clean, you know, <laughs> but uh, so what kind of stuff are you working on now? What do you do? Uh, so I am the, uh, supervisor of, uh, the, uh, the drug unit at, uh, or special investigations unit at the sheriff's office, um, over the SWAT team, uh, which County that'd be Ro- Rowan County, Salisbury area. Um, and then I work part-time for the U S marshal service as a, um, district security officer, which is hopefully segue one day, maybe into my retirement career. Mm-hmm. Um, what does a district security officer do? Uh, we we basically move move prisoners and set in court. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a glorified bailiff position. But you know, I mean, it's 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 easy lifting. The money's good. Uh, it's kind of a break because I don't have any responsibility. You know, doing that. And after, you know, after um, my my career, you know, had a couple deployments in between. You know, after nine eleven and stuff. It's uh it's kind of nice to. I don't want to let it go, but I know. You know, and my body's starting to tell on me at 40, you know, almost 49 years old. I can tell, you know, I'm not as, you know, we have SWAT training and I see the other guys and, you know, I'm not the first one out of the car anymore. I'm not, you know, the the fast guy. So it's, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, I think it's winding down, um, you know, but I still don't want to so let it go. So you said you had a couple of de- yeah, you said you had a couple of deployments. Where'd you go and for how long? So in 07 and 08, uh, I deployed uh, to the, we ran the provost marshal's office at the Kuwait, Iraq border for a year. 
um, got back home, stayed in the reserves a little bit longer. Um, war starting to ramp down, but in another segue, several of the guys that, uh, that we've talked about on this podcast had left to go to work for Blackwater, uh, early, early on. And I'd applied and actually got picked up, um, to go do their, uh, one of their OGA programs, uh, do the train up for it. I got orders. I got orders to military duty, active duty on, uh, May of 07, um, that weekend drill. And then that Monday I got a call from Blackwater to, uh, you know, come and start to train up in two weeks, which obviously I couldn't go, but it was kind of something I wanted to do. Um, and about the time I hit the 15 year mark in law enforcement, which would have been 2010, uh, 2010, 2011, <clears throat> I thought, you know what, if I'm, if I'm going to do it and it's, it's now or never, uh, you know, I've put it off. Um, it's something I want to do, something I believe in doing. Um, I'm just going to, you know, bite the bullet and get out and, and just go do it. So I actually quit. I didn't have any, you know, any desire at that point. You know, I thought I'd kind of done and done everything that I wanted to do. Um, I never went to DEA. I went through the process. I actually was uh, waiting on a class date, and, and a, my, my boss at the time kind of talked me out of it, and, and, and so did um, my daughter because she was just very adamant about moving. So I thought, you know, I've had a really good career. I'd like to go make some money, um, you know, do, do a few more things and just see what the world has to offer. So I left and went to work on the uh, Afghan um, border police program with, uh, with Blackwater. And uh, as, as fate would have it, uh, part of the way through one of the deployments, we find out that another company had uh, had been awarded the contract. And um, I got to looking at a few things, and uh, my, my boss, who just recently retired, um, hit me up one day on computer. And he's like, hey, look, man, you need to quit running around doing dumb shit and, and come back and finish this thing out. And uh, he said, we got a, got a detective opening in the drug unit. You know, it's yours if you want it. I just need to kind of need to know something. And uh, I thought, you know, it probably makes a lot of sense. You know, a pension's better than, you know, running around playing playing reindeer games. So I came back and and uh, went back to work. So here, here we are. Was that Dave Ramsey? That was David Ramsey. Sure was. Good man. He was sure there. Sure was. I met Dave when he was an SBI agent there in North Carolina when I was in Greensboro. And his brother, Coleman, was a DE agent with us in Miami. Yep, yep. Both of them are great, great guys. Absolutely. And that was the other poop story I sent you about David Ramsey. Oh, I, I didn't pick up on that one. Oh, did you? For- Murph, you didn't forward that either. We would, we never would have passed a poop story up. We got With one. The, 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 What's the three the Hispanics on the drug deal and, and David? No, I don't remember seeing that. Well, if you want to hear it, I'll tell it. Well, you can't tease something like this <laughs> and not tell guy. it. So, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, you remember Todd Elmore with, with uh, I guess then it was uh, ICE, maybe, because there wasn't customs anymore. They had pulled them, formed ICE. It, would, it was 2004, maybe. Yeah, I had moved uh, on anyway, by anyway, they Anyway, he's doing good. Um, they, uh, they gave us a camera to use, and it was, it was a, a new button camera with a little box attached to it. And I'd introduced – I had an informant um, – that uh, had introduced me to a Hispanic uh, suspect and we had already bought, I think it was two ounces of meth off the guy undercover. And I had David do the undercover because the informant was older. Um, of course, David was older. He's still old as hell, but uh, David was, uh, David was doing undercover. So the second buy 
uh, they bring us this camera system and they're like, Hey, you know, you guys, you know, you, you need to field test this and see what you think. So we got this button camera. David did not want to wear it. He was very, very adamant about wearing this camera. And uh, we just kept on him, kept on him. And this is also in my presentation about undercover operations go wrong because it was, we did a lot of stupid things. And then just by the grace of God, even though it's funny, you know, Dave, David could have been, you know, seriously hurt or, or probably killed, uh, but, but wasn't. But we had two officers that were going to do the, um, we had two officers that were going to do the, um, that was going to do the um, surveillance, which is a dumb idea, but that's all we had. Um, or, well, all we took that day was me and one other person. And none of the surveillance equipment worked where we were at. Steve, you remember this. It was up where uh, Yadkin, Iredale, and Davy County kind of come together. So it's out in the middle of nowhere. So David meets at, at, at this where these cornfields are at, and there's this old building there, and David pulls directly behind the building. And... We can't see him from the road and there's nowhere to set because it's out in the middle of nowhere. And we, um, we end up just kind of driving back and forth, you know, cause we can't see anything. So we're in a, you know, in this very, very rural area and other surveillance equipment worked. The cell phones really didn't work in that area either. Cause it was just, I mean, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so what, what had happened was is David pulls up in an undercover truck, um, the bad guy pulls in, except this time there's three of them in the car and not one. And there was a lady by the name of, uh, of uh, Sandy Martinez. She spoke Spanish and English. She was born in the States. Her, uh, her brothers and, uh, and Steve, you may remember it was Oscar Martinez and other, they, I think they ended up going to prison for killing a guy and taking his body off in the woods and setting it on fire to, to dispose of it. They, they ended up going to prison. But anyway, she she shows up and she's kind of the intermediary between the source, which was her brother-in-law, and but they they didn't speak English, so she gets in the truck with David, and uh, they're you know they're kind of talking back and forth, but they, we're, we're oblivious to this because we can't hear any of it, and uh, so me and Chris we're just kind of you know cruising around in the truck, you know letting David do his thing. Well, what we found out later on is during the course of the conversation, she asked David if, if he's a cop and he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not a cop. And David pulls up his shirt and says, you know, the only thing, cause she asked him if he was wired, he pulls up his shirt and he said, the only thing I got here is my, my pistol. And that's just to make sure, you know, you, you don't try to rob me. She takes two ounces of meth and throws it in his lap. Oops. And when David goes to pick the meth up, she grabs his shirt and pulls it up and sees the wire. And, she says something in Spanish to the other two guys in the car where they bail out. Well, David can't see where they run, which fortunately they take off into this damn cornfield. David ends up in a struggle with her. Um, and meantime, we're just riding by, listening to the radio, waiting for David to get done buying dope. Well, what we saw later on the video recorder that he had is he's struggling with her. And, and David being the gentleman that he was, instead of immediately, you know, taking her out of the fight, which, you know, probably should have been kick her damn feet out from under and stand on top of her in case the other two are going, you know, come around and ambush you. David's doing, you know, the dance with her to try to get her, you know, into custody and get her on the ground. So fast forward, I'll come back. Fast forward, we ride by a couple more times. Well, then we finally see David on this girl's back waving his pistol in the air. So we slide up and, you know, we grab a hold of her. 
what we found out that happened watching the video is he gets her on the ground and, and Steve can tell you, David, David's a very, he's great at undercover, but he's, he's more, way more refined than I am. And David's <laughs> on her back and she says, she said, get off of me. You're too big. Well, you know, as soon as we hear that as cops, you know, we immediately start with the jokes <laughs> Whoa. and David, and it was, it was so out of character for him. He says, shut up, bitch. That ain't my problem. <laughs> so you, you see us ride by in the truck and David has got his gun in his hand and he's waving it. Well, then he puts his hand back down and she says, get that gun out of my, out of the back of my head. What if it goes off? And David said, well, that's your fucking problem. So as we come back by for probably the 17th time, he fires a roundup in the air to get our attention because, you know, he oh still don't God. know where these other two guys are. <laughs> yeah. So, cause we have no communication with him whatsoever, which is like, you know, basic 101 drug investigation. We just blew it all out of the water. We don't hear the gunshot cause it's the South. It's hot. The windows are up and you know, we got the radio and we don't hear the gun go off. So we come back through and we actually finally see him. We slide up. We, you know, we get out of the car get her handcuffed well as soon as we stand her up on the video i turned around and i went what is that fucking smell and i'm looking around and i and i lock eyes with sandy martinez and she's standing there and you can tell she peed in the front of her pants but there's flies coming out of the cornfield and they're around her like pig pen on charlie brown <laughs> and i walk around to the side and look and she had shit all over herself well going back and watching the video I think what had happened was, is when she said, get that gun out of the back of my head. What if it goes off? And then David fires the shot to try to. <laughs> scared the shit out of her. <laughs> scared the shit out of her because she thought she was shot. <laughs> oh, so then it turns into whose car are we going to put her in to transport her? Not mine, pal. Not mine. Not mine. So <laughs> we get her in the car and we get her down to the. What the great thing was, since they abandoned their car, we made one of the one of the other guys that showed up after we sent up the bat signal stick her in her car and drive her back, you know, to, oh. to the shop. Oh. So we get back there and we were in an old EMS barracks was our uh, was our office at the time. And uh she had um she's like, I, I need to go, I need to go to the bathroom. We're like, You damn yeah, you needed to go a little while ago and you did, but so we take her in the sh the women's shower area and we get her a jail jumpsuit to put on. Now, did you show her how to cut her underwear off with a knife? I did not, but I could have. I could have been, you know, I could have been a lot of help to her, but I, I, I didn't. I, I kind of thought she could handle it on her own. We, uh, so she would, she refused to talk to David. I mean, just absolutely refused to talk to him. So we interviewed her, got her, you know, got her to, 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 you know, agree to cooperate down the road. Didn't think anything about it. Come in the next morning, and the secretary is pacing back and forth with a cup of coffee in her hand, and she's mad. Jesus Christ, she was mad. And I walk up to her and I said, and, and David and I walk up to her like, what, what's wrong with you? And she said, come here. I want you to see this. So she takes us back to where the women's shower was. And I swear to God, it looked like somebody took chocolate oatmeal and sprayed it up on the walls oh, in that nasty. shower. And she oh. said, one of you two assholes is going to clean this up because I'm not doing it. And I looked at David. I said, I can promise you I'm not doing it. I got that thing. It's seven minutes. I got to go. And I went out the door and left. <laughs> now, did you really have a thing in seven minutes or was I that just your out? I just wasn't cleaning oatmeal <laughs> shit off the wall in the, damn, in the shower. 
Oh my God! How how far we have uh, how far we have fallen? Now we 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 talk about some really serious shit, and now we end up with two poop stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've had some you've had some class acts on your show, and now here we are. Uh, no, we've had some stories, dude. We've had some stories. This is oh some my of the God! Ones we've had. <laughs> I got a whole ward, I got a whole closet full of them. But yeah, uh, no, you do. Yeah. Uh, hey, well, Dad, well, recently you were at the um, what conference were you at? The National Narcotics Officers Association Coalition. Coalition. And yep. you were elected to an office, right? Or appointed? Yes. Uh, I was elected to to be their treasurer, uh, which I'm not real good at gazentas. You know, two gazenta four, two times. That's about, <laughs> about where I leave it. But uh, Do you yeah, refer to yourself as the high treasurer? You know, I thought about that. I thought about getting a name badge that said high treasurer on it because I think it would fit. I think you at should. At this point. I think you should. <laughs> I think you should wear some dark glasses, put spider, you know, webs on yeah, them, and uh, yeah, yeah. I think get I a pearl handled revolver. Get a pearl handled nineteen eleven that you carry with you, double like Patton used to do. Yeah, like Patton used to do. Yeah. Have you, are you still associated with the North Carolina Narcotics Officers Association? Yeah, still training coordinator. Uh, still training coordinator. Our state association. You know, we helped. Uh, we actually helped in NOAC get started. So. You know, we we um, you know want to be a part of that organization as long as so we can. So why did you start it? Because there was the National Narcotic Officers Association, right? Yes. Is this a, is so? Is this a competing organization to that? No, no. the the national The national is made up of the state. Uh, I think, and I'd have to go back and look to be one hundred percent correct. Every state that has a their own state narcotics officers association comes together with delegates to make up the national association. And, you know, we, we lobby, um, well, I say lobby, we, we do our best to speak, you know, to, to inform our legislators of, of what, you know, the current drug trends are, what, what, um, grants and stuff need to, you know, be continued to be funded and things like that to support, you know, the, the, the calls back home in each one of our States. And, but what does the coalition do that's different than the association? So the association, we're pretty much there to put on, you know, uh, training conferences for our for our people back home and, and the national. Like I said, it's more it's more geared to uh, to um, you know lo- lobbying at the at the federal level as opposed to you know the state side. Yeah, and it's an organ. The coalition brings all the states together, so you know you yeah. you speak yeah. in one voice. Oh, good, cool, good stuff. Well, so how many years you got left in you? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I'd be eligible for full uh, for a full retirement uh, with vacation and sick time, uh, April twenty twenty four. But you know, I'm like I said, my health's still good. Thank thank God for that. Um, you know, we'll just kind of see. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not really ready to give it up. I don't. I don't think. You know, I still. I still love the job. Uh, hate some of the BS, but love the job. So we'll we'll kind of see where it goes. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> you, you don't want to deal with any more bullshit, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and my daughter, my daughter is actually uh, pregnant with twins right now, so she she wants me to retire to stay home and babysit. But I don't, I don't know if I could. I want, you know, I want to obviously I'm going to be a part of their life as much as I can, but I don't know if I'm ready to do that. So right, right. Hey, look, you you, know, you got yourself pregnant. You know, you got to figure this stuff out. As I told our kids too, is that say, hey, look, we're not going to raise your kids. We'll babysit them every now and then, but. You have kids, you raise them, right? We'll spoil the crap Absolutely. out of them. That's what grandparents do. Yep. Uh, I'll be more than glad to do that. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm looking at a few things. Uh I've I've kind of found a home in Oklahoma. Um love those guys. I know Brian Serber's been on your show. Brian's a good friend of mine. Um I've looked at, you know, some possible opportunities there. You know, I would I'd like I said I I think I still got something to offer. So we'll we'll kinda we'll kinda see where it goes. Do you know Bill Stanett? 
Yes. Yeah, Bill has introduced us to maybe, I don't know, four or five guests that we've had on the show here. He's fantastic. Good good people, man. You're hanging out with some good people. Yeah, you know, um, um, <laughs> and just, just saw, you know, just spent the past week with, you know, a lot of them, a lot of a lot of this, I've never, um, I, I tell people this, I've gone back and forth to Oklahoma now for several years. And actually the, the presentation that I do, um, Wayne Stennett and, uh, Andy Simmons, he's sheriff of Muskogee County now. And, and Jason Tucker and some of the guys, we were sitting at the Dubliner of all places in downtown DC over beers. Yeah. No, and, I've uh, been to there many times. Lo- love the place. Uh, uh, my, my credit card evidently loves it too. Cause I was looking at some of my statements yesterday. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, alcohol we, leads to bad decisions. It absolutely does. And, and, and I, and I was telling, you, um, you didn't call Sheriff Hagee, did you? No, you didn't call no. it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it's funny. Richie Simmons, the, the sheriff in Davidson County, he, uh, Steve Jones and I were in there talking to him and, and we were going to get together prior to Christmas. And Richie said, before we walked out of his office, he said, boys, he said, I like, he said, I love both of you. He said, please don't get drunk and call me. <laughs> we're like, we promise we won't. But so yeah, we, we were at the Dubliner and, uh, I was telling, uh, I was telling Wayne and some of those guys, some of the, you know, several cases that I've, you know, was the case agent on where I've had undercover officers robbed at gunpoint. I had one kidnapped, uh, and just shit that we could have done differently. And uh, Wayne said, well, you, you should put that together. That would be a great presentation. And I said, yeah, but, I, you know, it really needs to be entitled all the stupid shit that I did. And it's a wonder nobody got killed because that's what it is in essence. It's not anything great that I did. It's all the bad stuff that, that you know, corners that we cut just to make a dope deal go through. And it's really amazing that, n- that nobody had d- d- died. And uh, Wayne's like, that's it. You're coming to our conference. We're going to book you. So the next morning when I wake up, I run into Wayne in the, in the, uh, in the lobby and he says, well, we're going to go ahead and book you. So as soon as we get back, he said, we'll get everything worked out. These are the conference dates. And I said, uh, for, for, for what? And he said, that presentation you were talking about last night. Well, I hadn't even put a slide together yet. I didn't even have a draft written down to, to put it together. So able to get it together i've done it a couple times now in a couple of different states i did it for tennessee's association i did it for ours did it for oklahoma and uh, but anyway i say all that to say that uh everyone is very very gracious in oklahoma it's a wonderful state love the people love the wide open spaces and i'm just you know i don't people very well anymore and there's north carolina's getting a little bit crowded for me even though i live in the country this is good stuff. Well, welcome man. to the Midwest, pal. Being a Kansas firm <laughs> boy, we'll welcome you out there. Just, just whatever you do, do not root for the Sooners. Well, you know Brian Bosworth did play for them, so yeah, actually, and he's great as the sheriff on Smallsville. What is it? You know, whatever that Dr Pepper <laughs> commercial is. Yeah, yeah. The whole NFL thing didn't really take off for him, but you know, <laughs> nah, nah. Well, right. hey, man. So we're going to bring this to a close. Uh, this has been a couple of the funniest stories mixed in with some really sad stuff. You know, we've gotten, we've had laughter, we've had tears, but that's kind of the way law enforcement is, right? So, yeah, it is. But this is us. This is me saluting you there. Thank whatever you. you are this week, whatever agency you work for this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this is a, it's, I, I love it when I get to hang out with guys that I've known for years and years. You know, we all say the, the, uh, the law enforcement culture, we're brothers and sisters for life, and this is a perfect example. So it's, Amen. you know, as much as we like to bust each other's chops, Kevin, it has been a true pleasure and an honor to have you on here, man. Guys, I really, I really appreciate the the opportunity. You, you, you don't, you don't know how much it means to me. And we'll let you know what the feedback feedback is about your crappy stories. 
I, nobody's going to remember anything but the poop story. You, you could have saved the world, cured cancer, all they're going to remember. Oh. Kevin shit his pants and cut off his own underwear yes. and left it in the trash I, can. I did. I did to blame it on the homeless people. What a way to go down in history. On that note, we're going to hit it here. So don't you guys go anywhere. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. Well, let me tell you, if you didn't laugh and cry Mm. in this episode, you don't have a heart. You're not kidding. You know, this is, you guys have told us, you've heard us say before about the hardships that law enforcement endures, all first responders, firemen, EMS, the things that you see out there that most people will never see in their life and they endure and it kind of toughens you up inside. And if if you don't develop that tough skin, it's hard to get through your job. And here's a guy I told you in the introduction. This is a real tough guy. I mean, you heard his story, but then how heartbreaking was that? And for him to have gone through all this and still get emotional about it, and and I think maybe it's because he's my a good friend of mine, um, it just it breaks your heart, but it also kind of makes your heart jump for joy because he found his biological parents. He sent us pictures. I mean, you can tell they're related. <laughs> yes, you can. So it was, but it's a perfect example to show you that, you know, law enforcement are tough people, but they're also human. They got it. They've got their own personal stories, just like you do. And his personal story was how he crapped his pants and hid the evidence (laughs) and had to fess up to it later. (laughs) Well, that's what you got to love about Kevin, man. He knows how to laugh at himself and that's embarrassing, but he put that story out there. (laughs) Yeah, but then he follows up with another poop story about his partner and they're driving around fat, deaf, and happy while his partner's fighting off this woman who threw the meth in his lap and then checked, found he had a wire. And the only way he could get their attention was shoot a gun. When he (laughs) shot the gun, he made her crap her pants. Oh, man. Dave Ramsey is a super guy also. I got to work with him when I was in North Carolina. His brother was a a retired DEH agent that I worked with in Miami, too. He was a super guy, too. Well, guys, as you can see, this was a great thing. And then, you know, uh, obviously the story lost his partner in a shooting. Um, uh, You know, uh, the, the, the things he went through in his personal life, being adopted, finding his biological parents. Um, and then Steve, uh, we just, we both got a text from him too. If mm-hmm. you want to know how reality sets in, why, uh, you know, let folks know. I mean, uh, this last week, uh, and you know, some, another critical incident happened with his guys. Yeah. He's got, uh, now he's a major, so he's overcharged of their, uh, detectives in Rowan County, North Carolina. Three of his guys went out to serve a warrant. The guy came out shooting at the officers and they had to put him down. And that's just, that's the reality of law enforcement. It's, it's more aggressive and more violent nowadays because of so much anti-law enforcement sentiment out there. But we know that none of you share in that. That's why we have Game of Crimes here. We want to put the real stories out there so you hear what people yep. are going through. You don't, hear, you don't hear Morgan and I telling somebody's story. You hear the real people that went through it telling their own story. I guarantee you, though, I'm going to tell Kevin's story about how he crapped his pants and hid the underwear and cut it off with a knife. I am telling that one. I'll tell you what, if he ever brings me and Javier back to speak at one of their conferences, that's probably going to be an opener. I'll tell you what, I'd just put a picture up there of a dirty diaper and say, who does this remind you of? Hey, Kevin, we love you, brother. 
Well, if you guys love it too, head on over to Apple and Spotify. If nothing else, give five stars because he told one of the funniest stories I think we've ever heard I'm on here. I'm starting to have tears out of my eyes now just from laughing. <laughs> we laugh so hard, man. Uh, also, head on over to our podcast website called GameofCrimesPodcast.com. Uh, we posted some pictures there about Kevin and like a couple of our guests coming up have got books. We're going to be posting them there as well. Follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram but make sure you go visit us at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We've got 911, What's Your Emergency, wow. where I run Murph through his paces. Uh, you have to put your ears on, your investigative ears on, and see if you can figure out what happened. We talk about um, – we do our monthly Q&A, one of our favorite things to do. Oh, yeah. We talk about you can't make this shit up. We just finished – and you folks, those folks of you at the um, Guardian of the Realm and Warden of the Throne level have access to our 15-part – epic saga the real dea narcos on the real dea narcos cali edition we did jp and steve initially first uh 12 episodes on that mm -hmm. 15 episodes on this the most in-depth stories about the takedown of pablo escobar and the cali cartel anywhere in the world and you're going to hear you're only going to hear in one place and what place is that steve that's right here on game of crimes and what was that game of crimes podcast and you can find us at game of crimes podcast.com now steve that's on patreon Oh, geez. Well, okay, back up. <laughs> Go to Patreon. Steve, let's try that one more time. And where do you find that at? <laughs> I don't know. Where do we find that Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. There you go. You had the Game of Crimes right. Just needed to put Patreon.com slash in front of it. So, yeah. Patreon. Uh, I'm not going to ask you that again, dude. I got to go take some Metamucil or something. I don't know. <laughs> take some medicine. Go sit in your hot tub, okay? So, just whatever you do, just go to Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes and hear all the stuff we're talking about. And, guys, again, we thank you, especially you folks on Patreon. You give us two things, time and money. We can replace money, but we can never replace time. So we thank you for that. Tell one, share one shirt with your friends. And you guys stay tuned as we come back with another episode next week on the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Southern-friendly, apparently poop-friendly game of crimes. Game of Crimes.